0: morning. Welcome to LifePoint. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13, that's where we'll be. We'll kind of skip forward a little bit and do 14, 15, and 16 and kind of cover the story of Samson today. Uh, As we're continuing our series on Samson, if you open up your bulletin also, there's fill-in-the-blank notes that you can follow along with with the message. And normally on the back of those notes is the notes for further study for life groups. And they're not there now because we're not doing life groups right now, except for sort of once a month get-togethers to uh, have fun, maybe go to a beach or have a dinner or something like that. So life groups are still happening, just not in the same way that they happen during the school year. Uh, so if you're not involved in a life group, that means that there's still a good time to sign up. You can sign up today and still get involved in a life group, and there's information at the info booth. Uh, we say it all the time, life groups are where life happens at LifePoint. It's really the place where you'll connect, you'll get to know people, but you'll also find a group of people that, uh, you not only have fun with, but that can support you uh, when you need encouragement, when you need to pray with somebody. Uh, our life group has a, uh, a group text message thing that it doesn't happen all the time, so don't worry that it's like, you know, a ding, 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 ding all through the day. But every now and then someone will, will send out a prayer request or something like that, and it's just a great way of surrounding yourself with a group of people who love you and support you. So if you're not involved in a life group, go ahead and, and sign up at the info booth to get more information there. Well today we're continuing our series on Samson. And last week was awesome. Last week was Father's Day, it was a great time. And how many of y'all saw that video of Detective Lomas and Officer Giggles? That was the Father's Day video. Uh, Pastor Casey did an incredible job putting together that video. And we have some amazing actors, don't we, in the church. They did such a phenomenal job. Actually though, Pastor Lomas, I don't know if he was acting or if that's just how he always is. I haven't been back in the children's church room for a while, I don't know how how that goes, if he's really that that intense back there. I don't know, it's good for the kids though, it'll be fun. But Pastor Cecil talked about uh, Samson and introduced us to the book of Judges. And one of the things he talked about is the cycle of Judges. And he showed this plot or this figure about the cycle of Judges and how all through the book, you have this cycle where Israel serves the Lord and then Israel uh, falls into sin and idolatry and Israel is enslaved, they've got a consequence basically. Israel cries out to the Lord, God raises up a judge, they're delivered, they serve the Lord, the cycle goes again and again and again and again. And it seems like it's a futile sort of thing that over and over again, you see the same cycle, one after another. And as I was thinking about this, it reminds me that life is all about cycles. We have cycles all, all over, wherever we look. Look, I mean, one of the cycles is laundry, right? <laughs> we have four kids at home, and each of them wear eight outfits a day, it seems like. So, it seems like we're always doing laundry and we, we get the laundry clean, they sit in a pile somewhere for seven to ten business days until they get folded. And then we finally fold them and by the time they're folded and put away, the basket's full again and we got to start over again. And it seems like all the time we're like, we're still doing laundry, we're still doing laundry. It's a cycle and it never seems to end, right? Another cycle is, is uh, my car. So my car is, when it's fixed, I'm like, I like this car, I'm going to drive this car, it's working. And then it breaks. And when it breaks, I say, "Ah, I hate this car. I want to sell this car. I want to get rid of this car. But to sell it, I got to fix it. And so I fix it. And then once it's fixed, I'm like, well, now it works. Why would I sell it if it's working? So I'm going to keep it. And a couple months later, it breaks. And I go through the cycle again and again and again. And somehow, I never break out of this cycle. I never actually get rid of the car and get something else. And that's just kind of how it works. Another cycle is Star Wars movies. Star Wars movies, they tell the same story over and over and over again, exactly the same thing. And it's just a cycle. It seems to repeat with just different names of the characters, right? Over and over again. By the way, if you like Star Wars and, and you want to argue about Star Wars, Pastor Casey's a great person to talk to. He has some very strong opinions about Star Wars if you haven't talked to him. And so go ahead and talk with him. It, it will be a blessing to you. <laughs> So another cycle, and with Pastor Cecil on vacation this week, if you haven't noticed, our normal lead pastor, if you're a guest here, is gone on vacation, and so I get to speak. And that means that I get the opportunity, without him here, to share a Cowboys joke. And I actually do is, does anyone have Cowboys gear on today? First service, we had some Cowboys gear on. But anyway, the cycle of judges reminds me of the cycle of Cowboys. And so we have a chart here. (laughs) So the cycle of Cowboys starts with a new NFL season beginning. And the next thing that happens is the team looks promising, right? Everybody's excited. The team looks like they're gonna be good this year. And then the next thing that happens is Jason Garrett claps. That's their coach. He likes to clap and there he is clapping. And then the next thing happens is they fail to win the division title again. How sad. But notice Jason Garrett is still clapping. So the next thing, they reminisce about the 1990s, right? When they lose. Oh, remember the 90s? They were great. And then finally, next year will be our year and the cycle repeats over and over and over again. It's a cycle of futility just never breaks out of this cycle. Well, our life is filled with cycles like that, and it's got to be painful to be a Cowboys fan because of this cycle, but you also, if you're not a Cowboys fan, wherever you are, you have cycles, right? You, You have these things that repeat over and over again. Maybe it's a cycle of just your work, and you feel like every day you go in, you do the same job, you go back home, and you start again the next day, and you never seem to make progress. You're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe it's a cycle of a struggle that you've got, a financial struggle, a relationship struggle, or just some sort of struggle, a temptation maybe, just something that you seem to repeat over and over again. You never seem to make progress. You never seem to break out. And it seems like in these cycles that if you're not making progress, it seems pointless. You're like, what's, what's the point? If, if all my life is about is a daily grind of going to work, coming home, eating, sleeping, going to work, coming home, eating, sleeping, if that's all life is, it seems kind of pointless because these cycles seem meaningless. King Solomon in Ecclesiastes said exactly that. He said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Looking at these cycles, that's the sort of attitude that we can have sometimes as we look at this. It's meaningless, it's pointless. I'm not going anywhere. And yet what we find in the Bible is that God is working through these cycles. God is working through them and doing something. And while it looks like you're just spinning around and around, God's taking you somewhere. And God was doing this with the children of Israel in the book of Judges as well. It looked like they're going through a cycle over and over again, and yet God had a direction and a plan for them. And even though they were cycling, they were going somewhere because God was taking them somewhere. We're going to look at how Samson was part of this this cycle. Um, But we'll also look at how uh, God breaks through these cycles. And one of the cycles that we'll talk about today is the cycle of defining your own truth, of trying to follow after whatever your eyes see, following after whatever your heart feels, following after your emotion, being true to yourself, as our culture says. We'll talk about how that causes this cycle and how God can help break us out of this cycle. And then next week, we're gonna talk about the cycle of following after your eyes in terms of temptation and how sometimes our eyes can see something and want it, and so we just go after it and we fall to temptation and then we get back up and then we fall to temptation and we get back up. And Samson did the same thing, and we'll talk about breaking through that cycle of temptation as well. Well, today, as we look at this cycle in the book of Judges, the book of Judges includes this phrase over and over and over again. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I want you to look at the list of places this is found. Judges 2, Judges 3, Judges 3, Judges 4, Judges 6, Judges 10, Judges 13. That exact quote, that exact phrase, over and over and over again. It's a cycle. And yet, God is doing something. As we are introduced to Samson, we can see something that God is trying to do. And Sam, uh, Judges 13 introduces us to us. This is, this is before Samson is born. Samson's parents are, are, are barren. They don't have kids. And they're praying for kids. And all of a sudden, an angel comes to, the, to Samson's mom, who will be his, his mom, and says this in verse 3 of chapter 13. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head. That's the famous thing about Samson, no, no cutting hair. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now I want you to leave up this, this uh, last verse here for a moment. I want you to see two things that are underlined. The first is, is that it says Samson will begin to save Israel. It doesn't say Samson will save Israel, he'll complete the work. It says he'll begin to save Israel. And what you can see is that this is foreshadowing the Messiah, that one day there will be one who comes and saves Israel and saves the people of God once and for all. One day there will be one that breaks the cycles forever and ever, and there will be no more cycles of futility over and over again. But until that day when that Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, we're just beginning to see Israel be saved. But the second thing I want you to see is what is famous about Samson? Samson's strong and Samson has long hair. That's what I learned in Sunday school and that's what everybody remembers, right? Do you see anything about strength in this Bible verse? Where the angel comes and talks to Samson's mom, the angel never once says you're gonna have a son that's gonna win competitions and have a gun show, he's gonna be super strong like Pastor Cecil, right? He's gonna have strength like crazy. The angel never says that. What the angel says is the child shall be a Nazarite to God. A Nazarite to God. Not the child will be super strong, but he'll be a Nazarite to God. Well, what's a Nazarite? Number six, a little bit earlier in the Bible, is where God defines what a Nazarite is as he's speaking to the children of Israel. It says in verse two, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, All the days of his vow shall be separation. No razor shall touch his head until the time completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. You notice what phrase is repeated over and over again. Separated to God. You see, the vow of a Nazarite was not about being separated from things. The vow of a Nazarite, the external signs were no alcohol, no cutting your hair, and don't touch dead things, okay? That's the external signs, but that's not the point. The point of the Nazarite vow was to be separated to God. Those other things were just an external sign to remind you that I have vowed that I will follow after God all the days of my life. I'm separated to God. I'm separate. I'm holy. And these external signs are just the signs. And in in religion, mankind has often made the separate or the, the external things the point. We've often said, you know, if we go to church, that's the main thing. I just I just gotta go to church every day or I I gotta pray or I gotta I gotta do this or that. And God says that's not the point. The point is not to do these religious rituals. The point is to be separated to God. It's to come to God. The point is about your heart being in love with God and God doing something in your life. Just like Samson's Nazarite vow was not just about the external things. Those were just signs. What was it's supposed to represent is his heart was dedicated to God. And in the same way, when we are Christ followers, when we are Christians, it's not about the external things that we do. Those should just be signs of what's internally in our heart that we are dedicated to God, that we are devoted to God, and that we love him with all of our, our heart because of what he has done for us. So, Judges 14 then. What happens to Samson is he's supposed to be a Nazirite. He's supposed to be separated to God. And as Pastor Cecil shared last week, he broke almost immediately uh, early in his life, he broke two of the vows already, the external signs. He touched a dead thing, and uh, he drank alcohol. Uh, He had this massive party, right? So he's broken two of the things. He's still got his long hair. But the point of the Samson story, I think, is that over and over again, Samson is, is breaking his external vows, but it's really reflective of his heart that he has not been separated to God. He's not been dedicated to God. He's been following after what his own eyes see. He's been defining truth himself. And we see this in Judges 14. It says, Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she was right in my eyes. She is right in my eyes. Then he went down and talked to the woman, since she was right in Samson's eyes. You see, number one in your notes, Samson determined truth according to his own eyes. Samson determined truth according to his own eyes. He wasn't focused on what God had for him. He wasn't focused on the things that God had called him to do. He was just looking and saying, this looks good to me, I'm going to go after this. He was not separated to God. He determined truth according to his own eyes. But what's interesting is that this is not uniquely true about Samson. It was true about all the Israelites in this time. Judges 21 said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Doing what's right in your own eyes? Doesn't that define our culture today that everybody's chasing after what's right in your own eyes? It's all about my truth, it's all about what I feel is right and I'm just gonna try to be true to myself, right? Now the interesting thing is we have a tendency to think, you know, we're living in such a unique time, you know, the world has never ever been like this, it has. It it says here, this was, uh, what is it, 3,000 years ago, the Israelites were doing what was right in their own eyes. It's been the same thing plaguing humanity forever and ever as long as we've been here we tend to want to do what's right in our eyes and push away god and say i don't want what you've got i'll just ignore god what you have for me i'm going whatever i feel is right i'm gonna do it my way that's how we as humans tend to do things and that's how our culture tends to do things but it's interesting our culture as as i was looking at this the the concept of this is called relativism uh, moral relativism or, or relativism of truth and the idea is is that you have no right to tell me what's true Because what's true for me might not be true for you. I get to define my own truth now This is not a biblical idea, but our culture has taken this a step further as I was researching this this week uh, I found that philosophers actually say that we have moved beyond relativism and we've moved to what's called expressive individualism now expressive individualism doesn't say I have the right to choose my own truth It says I have the obligation to follow my own truth. It says that I have to, no matter what the cost, no matter what anybody else says, I have to discover me and go after what I think is right. And our culture has gotten more extreme in this to where everybody's chasing after what their own eyes see and saying, it doesn't matter what the consequences are, I've got to be true to myself and and go do whatever I think is the best thing. Charles Taylor, he's a contemporary philosopher, Uh, up in Canada, actually, who's written a lot about expressive individualism, starting in the 80s and, and continuing on today. He said, not only should I mold my life to the demands of external conformity, I can't even find the model by which to live outside myself. Look at this quote he says, I can only find it within. I can only find truth within. That's the idea that our culture teaches, I can only find truth in me. It's the age of authenticity, be true to yourself. Charles Taylor goes on and says, there's a certain way of being human that is my way. I'm called to live my life in this way and not in imitation of anyone else's life. But this notion gives a new importance to being true to myself. If I'm not, I miss the point of my life. I miss what being human is for me. To me, this quote is interesting because he's talking about, first of all, that I have to to live what's true to myself, live according to who I am. Who defines who you are? How do you know who you are? How do you know who you are unless the Creator tells you who you are? And that's what we're going to look at in just a moment. But the second thing is, as he says, that I miss the point of my life. Well, if the point of my life is just to be true to me, that seems pretty empty. It doesn't seem like, the, it just seems like a cycle. You're chasing after who I am here, and then maybe you decide I'm someone else, and you're chasing after who I am here, and you're, chasing, and you're going back and forth, and you're in this cycle of futility, and there's no point. The only way there's a point is if there's something outside of ourselves that we're working towards. If it's all about inside of us, there's no progress, there's no point, there's no meaning. I know my heart, it doesn't have the right stuff in it unless it has the light of God shining in it. And that's the only way that we can have meaning and purpose is to have the light of God shining in us. You see, if we were to assume, there's two options really. There is God, there is no God. If there is no God, what happens? Well, if there is no God, atheist Richard Dawkins says it like this, he says, we're all dancing to our DNA. Basically, we have no, uh, no free will. We, we can't make our own choices because all there is is molecules and atoms and DNA. And all we are are biological and chemical machines And if you know, if you put chemicals in a a test tube or something, you can predict what they're going to do, because there's certain laws, certain equations, that govern how the molecules interact with each other, and they'll, they'll behave the same. Science, in fact, is based on the idea that things are reproducible, that if you know all of the conditions, you can predict what will happen. Well, if there is no God and all there is is stuff, is atoms, then we are also predictable. If you know the position of all the atoms in our body, you could predict, if you knew enough information, exactly what you would do. And so the idea of free will, of choice, of meaning, of purpose, all of those don't make any sense because we're just chemical equations. And in fact, in that case, why are we even here? Why are we even talking about this? Because we're just, you know, I'm I'm talking because the chemicals in my body are making me talk and all we're doing is just behaving exactly how the chemicals tell us to, right? Innately, we know this is not true. Innately we know there is meaning, there is purpose, I have choice. And that's because God created us to have choice. Stephen Hawking, who was one of the the most famous physicists, widely regarded as one of the smartest people to ever live, he said this, he said, Though we feel we can choose what we do, our understanding of the molecular basis of biology shows that the biological processes are governed by laws of physics and chemistry, and therefore are as determined as the orbits of the planets. It's hard to imagine how free will can operate if our behavior is determined by physical law. So it seems to me we are no more than biological machines and that free will is just an illusion. This is one of the smartest people, scientists who's who's looking at how the world works and he's saying if this is all there is, then free will is just an illusion. Now it's interesting because him saying that is just his chemicals in his body reacting and what he says is really meaningless if he's right. It's really meaningless. If everything is predetermined, there is no meaning, there is no purpose, and you have no choices. But innately, we sense this is not true. And why do we sense that that's not true? Because there is a God. Because there is a God. And if there is a God, then that means that something has given us free choice and free will. You see, if all there is is naturalism, if all there is is atoms, we have no choice, we have no meaning, we have no purpose. But if it's supernatural if it's outside of the natural, if there is a God, then we have free choice. And our choices make a difference and mean something. And our lives make a difference and mean something. And that's how I know the world works. And I would submit that every one of us knows that that's how the world works just innately. Otherwise, why have the discussion? Why, Why even talk about it? We all talk about meaning because we sense that there is a meaning, there is a purpose. We all talk about trying to be true to ourselves because we know that there is choices that we can make and we want to follow after those. And so we know that God is real. But now look, if God is real, who has the right to tell us who we are? It's our creator. It's our creator. If God is real, we ought to listen to what he says. We can't say God is real, I don't care about him. If God is real, he created us And we as the creation, his creation, have the obligation to listen to him. And that's the the smartest thing that you could do is listen to the one that made you because he knows the most about you. Genesis 1 you know, the, the the story of the universe, the story of Christianity, the story of our lives is founded first in Genesis 1. There's a reason why it starts this way. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if that's the very first verse of the Bible, that's telling us that God created all of us, let's listen to him. Let's see what this book says that he gave us. Let's listen to what he says because he created it all. He knows everything about it. Let's listen to the instructions. Let's listen to the one who knows everything and not just try to do everything our own way because we don't have all the information. And Genesis goes on and says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him and God blessed them. We were created in God's image, meaning that we have choice, we have free will, we have meaning and purpose. There's a reason that God made us and it's not so that we can be machines that just do something and and go through equations, but it's so that we can live lives that matter, that we can live lives focused and dedicated to God and his glory so that we can choose to be in that relationship with him. We have a choice and because we have a choice, we ought to choose to listen to our creator, the one who made us. But that's not the way our culture works. You see, we often sort of deny God, right? Even the people who who will say that God doesn't exist, the people who who live their lives as atheists, they still behave as if they have choices. They still behave as if they have meaning because you can't live your life without behaving that way. You can't live your life as if you're just a biological machine. Innately, we know that's not true. And what happens is people just kind of go this way and that, and, and without that point of reference of God, their life is just lived in futility, in cycles, in, in going after this and going after that, and not, not having any direction or purpose. Listen to this, this article that I read on CNN this week. This is, a, this is a mom who was writing about her personal story, and she said, but there I was at 36 years old, realizing I didn't know myself at all. I had everything I thought made my life perfect. I was married to my best friend. I had two beautiful, healthy, and hilarious children with successful careers and a beautiful uh, home. And then she goes on to talk about how just inside of herself, in her emotions, she decided that this wasn't who she was. There was something, some other way that she was supposed to be living. And she talks about how gut-wrenching it was to leave her family, but she felt she had to because her emotions were telling her she had to go this way. And so she went after this other thing. And she goes on and writes, my family was being shattered, and I couldn't stop it. I'd say, yes, you could. But I couldn't stop it. I constantly had to remind myself, you get one life and this is your life and no one else's. You see, if you don't have that point of reference of God, your, your emotions tell you this way. You're going over this way. Your emotions go this way. And it doesn't matter how good this is. You say, oh, my emotions are going over here and you're going over here and you're scattered. You're going every which way because you have no creator to tell you how your life should be lived. You have no creator to tell you who you really are. And so you're just grow, grasping in the dark, trying to grab onto anything that you can because you don't have the light of the knowledge of God in your heart. You don't have light so that you can actually see. You're using your own eyes, but you're blind, and you're going after this and that, and you end up in futility, in meaninglessness, and it's destructive. Number two in your notes, Samson ended up blind and separated from God. Samson ended up blind and separated from God. Samson, the the famous part of the story is the story of Samson and Delilah. And we'll, we'll talk about this in more detail next week. But what happens with Samson and Delilah is that Delilah eventually convinces Samson to cut his hair. He loses his strength. He gets captured by the Philistines. And as he's captured from the Philistines, it says in Judges 16, he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in prison. You remember what Samson's point was, what what he was called to do. He was called to be a Nazarite, called to be separated to God. And now it says the Lord had left him. Now he's separated from God. He has lost his purpose because he was following after whatever his own eyes decided was right. He was following after whatever his own eyes decided was the way his life should go instead of following after what God had for him. And he ended up blind. And what happened to Samson physically in that moment had happened to him spiritually long before that, as he was grasping this way and that and following after whatever his own eyes saw, whether it was the honey in the lion that his eyes saw and said, I want that, or whether it was uh, this Philistine wife, or whether it was the prostitute that he went after, or Delilah, or any of these other things that it says he followed his own eyes and did what was right in his own eyes, he was ultimately blind he was falling after his own eyes, but he couldn't see his real purpose. He couldn't see his real point of his life, that he was to be separated to God, that he was to serve God, find his meaning and his hope in God. He was blind. Jesus says in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You see, if you don't have the light, and the light has to be outside of yourself, you can't generate your own light. If you don't have the light, your eye doesn't work, doesn't do anything. We were in a mammoth cave a couple of uh, weeks ago. So we took a family vacation to, to the Smoky Mountains, which was a lot of fun, we did a lot of hiking, we walked like 55 miles or so. Our vacations are intense. I mean, my wife has a spreadsheet of like, at this time we're here, at this time we're here, at this time we're here, and it's a lot of fun, but it's intense. Well, we went to to the Smoky Mountains, we went to North Carolina for a bit and then we went up to to Kentucky to Mammoth Cave. And Mammoth Cave is one of the largest caves in the world, if not the largest cave in the world. It's it's an amazing structure, hundreds of miles of cave. If you're ever in that area, it's a national park, it's a great time, uh, it's a great thing to go do, it's really interesting. But we were on a on a, uh, on a a tour, we did two tours, the first tour we went through and we're going through with a group of, uh, I don't know, 50 people, something like that, we're going through this tour and the tour guide at one point says, everybody please, I say, stick together, please do, please stick together, because a couple of years ago, whenever this was, there was a man who decided that he wanted to kind of hang out and kind of stay back behind and do his own exploring a little bit in the cave. Well... What happens is there's a ranger who goes up ahead of the group and turns on the lights in the cave in the area that you're going to be in. And then after the tour group goes through, they turn off the lights again until the next group goes through. Well, this guy decided to stay back, didn't know that they turned off the lights. Well, he stayed back and all of a sudden the lights go out and he's in darkness. And this ranger said that he just sat down and stayed in that one spot until the next day when a tour group finally came through, and that next day uh, they found him hypothermic, they took him to the hospital, he ended up surviving, but it was a big ordeal, so they said, stay together, it's serious. And I remember my wife goes, why, didn't, you know, why would you just sit down? Why wouldn't you try to find your way out of the cave? Why wouldn't you try to go do something, right? Well, that afternoon, we went to another cave tour, and on this cave tour, we went down through a sinkhole and went hundreds of feet down, really close quarters, and it was really fun, but I'm not at all claustrophobic. If you're claustrophobic, this, this isn't the one for you. But anyway, so we're going down, going down, going down, and go, go through all these passages, and then go to this area, and we sat down, they talked about the cave a little bit, and they said, this is one of, the, one of people's, uh, what they say is the most interesting part of this sometimes, we're gonna turn off the lights so you can see what it's like. So we're deep, deep underground. There's no way that light can get on. They had everyone, you know, keep their cell phones away. Even kids with shoes that lit up, they're like, don't move. Just stay there, you know. We want it to be natural. They turn off the lights. And Steph immediately goes, oh, that's why he didn't go anywhere. Pitch-pitch. <laughs> pitch black. I mean, a blackness that you can't even describe when there's absolutely no light. You have no concept of direction. You have no concept where you're going. You are completely in the dark. You are completely directionless. You can't go anywhere. And that's how Samson was. And that's how people are who don't have the light of God. If you neglect the light of God, if you neglect what God says about who you are and what your purpose is and who you're meant to be, you don't have light and you're in the dark. And what happens when you're in the dark? You either sit and do nothing or you just try to grab onto whatever you can, just trying desperately to find hope, to find meaning, to find some way of living that makes sense, but you're blind. You can't go anywhere. You're completely disoriented. If the eye is uh, not healthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. William Blake, he's a 19th century poet, he said it like this, This life's dim windows of the soul distorts the heavens from pole to pole and leads you to believe a lie when you see with and not through the eye. Our culture has a lot of people who think that they can live life with their eyes, but we're called to see through our eyes and with our heart so we can see the light of God. If we see with our eyes and we, we, we don't have the light, we're not really seeing anything. We're seeing darkness and we're just grabbing on to whatever we possibly can. We have to have light to have direction and meaning and purpose. We have to have light to be able to progress outside of these cycles that we go through. If we reject the light, we're left with nothing but our eyes and they're closed, they're blind, they can't see anything. Even the the people, the philosophers who talk about being true to yourself recognize this. Charles Taylor, who we quoted earlier, is saying, be true to yourself. There's a unique way of being human. He wrote this. He said, there's a widespread sense of loss here, if not always of God, then at least of meaning. He recognizes that if truth is found only in you, you not only lose God, you lose meaning too. If you don't have light, if you don't have something external to yourself, you lose everything and you're blind. And even 130 years ago, German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, he coined the, the phrase, God is dead. And that, that phrase has been used a lot to say, you know, that we've moved beyond God. The concept of God isn't important anymore. You know, we can, we can live our lives without God now. That's not true. But he, he coined that phrase. It also generated these, these movies, God's Not Dead, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, however many there are now, uh, that you can watch on Pure Flix or any of these, these streaming things. And I won't comment on the quality of those movies, but... Um, So he coined this phrase, God is dead, and he said this, he wrote this this, uh, parable called the madman, and he said this, have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours and ran into the marketplace and cried incessantly, I'm looking for God, I'm looking for God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing together there, he excited considerable laughter. Have you lost him, said one. And don't you know, if you believe in God, a lot of times in our culture, you'll feel ridiculed. You'll feel people saying, that's, that's out of date. That's, you know, why do you need God? But that's, that's what this madman encountered. And thus they shouted and they laughed. The madman sprang into their midst and pierced them with his glances. Where has God gone, he cried. I shall tell you, we have killed him, you and I. We are his murderers. But how should we have done this? How were we able to drink up the sea Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What did we do when we unchained the earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving now? Away from all suns? Are we not perpetually falling backward, sideways, forward, and in all directions? Is there no up or down left? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? God is dead and we have killed him. God is dead and we have killed him is what the madman says. Did you hear what he's talking about? He's talking about wiping away the horizon. There's no up or down left. These are all points of reference. And he's saying if God is dead, we're left without a point of reference. We're left without anything to anchor our lives to. And we're in an infinite nothing. We're in darkness, we're in blindness, just grasping at anything that we can to find meaning. There's no point, there's no meaning. And what happens when you live out this philosophy of life, this philosophy that says God is dead, and you take it to its extreme, you end up insane. Nietzsche wrote this this story of a madman, and interestingly, he ended up a madman. He ended up insane in the end of his life. He was clinically insane. But ironically, at the end of his life, he grew up as the son of pastors, actually, and then he rejected their teaching and, and went for atheism here. But ironically... As he was insane and as as his mind was going, the only things that sprang to his mind sometimes were scriptures that he learned as a kid. And so in his madness, he would suddenly blurt out a Bible verse here and there. Those things are real. Those things are the reference. And even in his madness and his darkness, he was still grasping for any bit of truth that he could get. If you are blind, you want truth. And God has given us truth. When we determine truth according to our own eyes, we end up blind and separated from God. But number three in your notes, Samson turned to God and found his purpose. Samson turned to God and found his purpose. Judges 16 says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. You see, Samson lost his eyes, he lost his strength, he lost everything. And when you lose everything, sometimes that's the point where you have nowhere else to turn to God, but God, and you finally turn to God and you say, God, please help me. And what's amazing about God is that no matter where you are, it's never too late to do that. You may say that I'm in such a place, I I have done so many things, I have put myself in darkness, it's the consequences of my own actions that's the reason that I'm where I am. But as we learn from the Bible and as we learn from the story of Samson, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you just cry out to God, whenever that is, it's never too late. He will always have mercy. He will always respond in love because that's who our God is, is a God of love and compassion and goodness. It's never too late. And likewise, maybe you find yourself in a situation where it's not a consequence of your own actions, and you're like, God, why is this happening? Why is, what, what's going on here? Even in that circumstance, turn to God because he's the one with the answers. He's the one that knows how to get you through and he's your reference point that will allow you to find meaning and purpose even through whatever it is you are going through. And just remember, it's never too late. But we often remember that Samson's strength is the focus of the story, right? We often think about Samson's strength being the reason that Samson is famous. He was strong, he had long hair. But that's not what the Bible talks about. It already talked about that the Nazarite vow was to be separated to God, it was about his heart. But then 1,200 years later, Samson appears again in the Bible. This is in the book of Hebrews. And it says in verse 32 of chapter 11, "'What more shall we say? For time would fail to tell tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. The phrase right there that jumped out at me when I read this about Samson is made strong out of weakness. Samson was strong physically, but if you read his story, oh, he was weak emotionally, he was weak spiritually, and yet when he turned to God, God made him strong out of that weakness, and he's remembered then for his faith, not his strength, not his long hair, but for his faith, because it's your faith in God that will matter more than anything in your life. If you want something to hold on to, to grasp, that has meaning and purpose, it's faith in God. He's the one that will give you what you desire. Number four in your notes, our eyes are opened by Jesus. Our eyes are opened by Jesus. When we find ourselves blind, our eyes are opened by Jesus. It's not something we can do ourselves. Remember, we have to have light come into our eyes. That light comes from somewhere else, from outside of us. I remember I was at a scientific conference about 12 years ago and this was in the Texas Medical Center and there was a neuroscientist who stood up and I'll never forget this, it was one of the most impactful things I witnessed in graduate school and and this scientist stood up and he said, I predict that within the next two decades we'll know everything there is to know about consciousness. We'll know everything there is to know about human consciousness. Now that's kind of a bold statement, right? But if you believe that all there is is atoms and molecules, then why not? Why, why couldn't you know everything there is to know about consciousness and then just be able to predict? You know, you, you, you take a scan of somebody's life and you say, okay, the chemicals are gonna cause you to do this and this and this and this, and, this and, and that's it, right? There was a graduate student who stood up and asked a question and it's terrifying as a graduate student to stand up and challenge a professor. But this graduate student did this and, and I'll never forget this. He stood up and he said, What if the mind is more like a radio and we will never understand where the music comes from until we look outside of it? Everybody goes, ooh. (laughs) That was from God, I think. You see, if we try to determine the point of our lives by just looking at the way our brains work and the chemicals and the DNA, we'll miss it. There's something outside of us that gives us meaning and purpose there's something outside of us that gives us hope and we need to look to that light that comes from outside of us for everything that we desire everything that we need second Corinthians says for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God we grope around in darkness, looking for truth, trying to grasp on to whatever we can, trying to grasp on to meaning and direction, and what should I do, what should my life look like? And it says, God, in that darkness, pierces the darkness. He says, let there be light, and he shines into our hearts. And when we get a hold of that light, when we allow God to shine into our hearts and we let him open our eyes to that light, we have all that we need. And we can break through the cycles that we face day after day, and we can pursue what God truly has for us. But look at this. The verse doesn't end there, it goes on and says, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Truth isn't self-generated, and truth is not abstract. Truth is personified in Jesus, and this is amazing because what our hearts desire more than anything is not some abstract concept of truth, but a person, a relationship. Our hearts desire love. And we're built that way because we desire to know our Creator in such a personal way. And Jesus came down to the earth, came down to us, and shone the light for us. And he died on the cross for us so that we can have that relationship with us. And when we're coming to try to find the light, we're not just looking for some abstract God or some concept out in the distance, we're looking for a person, and that person is Jesus. C.S. Lewis, as he was, uh, uh, he was an atheist originally, a professor at Oxford, and he ended up becoming a Christian. And he wrote this about his conversion experience. He said, I thought I had come to a place. I found out I had come to a person. Found out I had come to a person. If you all bow your heads and close your eyes. This morning, we just wanna spend a few minutes asking God to speak to each of us individually that whatever he has for us this morning, that he would open our eyes to see his truth and his light, to see what he's calling us to do this morning. The only way we can find out who we are is to go to the one who made us, to ask him and to say, God, I desire you more than anything else. This morning, maybe you've never opened your eyes to that light. Maybe you haven't asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you haven't asked him to be your savior. Maybe you feel like you're in the dark. It's never too late and it doesn't matter where you are or what you've done in the past. God says, all you have to do is say, God, help me. God, here I am, open my eyes, and he will like that. God says with one word, he can pierce the darkness, and he can do that in your life as well. So if that's you, will you just begin talking to him and say, God, I turn to you this morning and watch. He will do something incredible. For the rest of us who who already know God, there's this, this culture, and even it, it gets into our, our Christianity and, and, and into our church culture, even of saying that I want to find out who I am. And, and we, we go after all of these, these books that are really self-help books with Bible verses. But God says that the point is him. The point is to live life for him, that he is the reference, that he is the one that we should desire more than anything else. And so, God, this morning, will you open our eyes to the light? Will you give us the point of reference that we desire? Will you give us hope and joy and meaning and purpose? We turn to you because we can turn nowhere else. Without you, we're in darkness. So we ask you to help us. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.